The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you have given us clear instructions for the kind of men that you are entrusting in authority on earth to oversee your household, the church. I pray that as we take a look at these qualifications, uh, that we, the elders, would be challenged personally uh, to refresh ourselves in the high calling that has been given to us and the qualifications required. I pray for this, your church, that we would come to a clear understanding of how you have structured your household under Christ. I pray that you would build up our church as we implement these instructions and that you would be pleased with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this first sermon, uh, we're not going to take as much time going through this text uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the second text, which deals with servants in the church, is going to require more of our time just so that we can understand it. This, this passage is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, more than that, when we get to the book of Titus, there is more instructions for overseers of the local church, at which time we will pick up anything that we went by fairly quickly. This text also is entrusted to you as you discuss them, uh, all of the passages and the instructions in your discipleship groups. So in this passage here, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we receive the sixth instruction for the church which is that we are to appoint qualified overseers. Uh, that there's a governance structure that God has given us, and the structure is not the same as the way we govern ourselves in this city or in this province or in this country. The way that God wants us to govern ourselves in the church is much like a family is governed by the authority of Jesus Christ, which is entrusted in the family, to husbands, in the church, to male overseers. The context was last week's sermon. And you'll be, be reminded that in verse 12 of chapter 2, the Lord Jesus through the apostle Paul says to us, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Which really highlights the function of overseers in the church. Uh, predominantly what an overseer is to do is to teach and to have that teaching authority 
because we're going to disagree about things. Someone in the church has to have the last word. Somebody has to say, this is what we as a group under Christ believe the Bible is teaching here. That authority is entrusted to, not to women in the church, but to male overseers. And then there also has to be a group that sets direction, sets the course for the church. Uh, Someone who governs and, and makes decisions, who has spiritual authority in the church, and it's the same group of male overseers. So in these seven chapters, this position of overseer is open only to men, which is in keeping with what we discussed last week. You'll notice at the very beginning in verse 1, we're told that this is a trustworthy saying, that if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. There's some teaching in Scripture that might suggest that you should not want to be uh, in a position of authority. You should not want to be the leader. That, that Somehow that's arrogant. And at the very beginning, what, what Christ wants us to know is he has called some men to lead. He has called some men to have teaching authority. And it's not wrong to want that if you're a man. But you must be qualified. And so we get into the qualifications. Before we take a look at, at these qualifications... Just a a word. There's no overseer in the history of the church. And we call these overseers elders. There's no elder who's perfect. There's no elder who doesn't struggle with his own sin issues. Uh, No elder has reached the zenith of his maturity. Uh, None of us. We're all going to struggle and wrestle through life. And just because you're the pastor or the preacher or an overseer in the church doesn't mean you've arrived. We need God's grace every much as anyone else does. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall into sin. We're going to fail. And so we need the grace of the church. But we also need to be held accountable. And we have to be accountable to one another. Within the council of elders, we need to be transparent about what those sin issues are. And we need to constantly be striving for greater maturity. So don't expect us to be perfect. But do expect us to give everything that we have to pursue these qualifications. And before a man can become an overseer, there must be a certain degree with which he exhibits these qualifications, even while he's not perfect, and even while he continues to grow and to seek after these character qualities. Let's go through these. There's quite a few. We're not going to have a lot of time for each. The first one is that an elder must be above reproach. This is kind of a catch-all for all of the qualifications. If you meet all the other qualifications, it, it is likely that you will be above reproach. More specifically, to, to be above reproach means that an elder must avoid the appearance and the opportunity for evil. Which means that there are certain things that we as Christians are free to do. There are certain contexts within which we are free to put ourselves But as an elder, we have to be extra careful not to put ourselves into a position where it might appear that there is some evil, or even if we don't fall into sin, that we might, in that context, fall into sin. I'll just give you an example. I I will not meet with a woman by myself, ever. Do I have the freedom in Christ to do that? Is there anything that, that says that it is absolutely sinful? No, but to be above reproach, I don't put myself in that position. 
And it protects me. It protects the women that I'm meeting with. It protects the church. It protects the reputation of the church. It protects the reputation of Christ. That's to be above reproach. And there's countless other contexts that we could get into, but that's an example. Second qualification, an elder must be the husband of one wife. Literally, this is a one-woman man. It means that an elder, if he is married, must be absolutely devoted in body, mind, and soul to his wife. This devotion to his wife is to be a public exhibition of his devotion to Christ and the church. And so we see that a man can be devoted to Christ and the church by the way in which he is devoted to his wife. Now this opens up a can of worms. Does this mean you have to be married in order to be an elder? What about a divorced man? What about a widower? What about a single man, a bachelor? Uh, What this means is if you are married, be devoted to your wife. Can single men serve as elders? Yes. Can a divorced man serve as an elder on a case-by-case basis? Yes. If a man is divorced, we would want to see when were you divorced? What was the reason of the divorce? Uh, Have you repented of any sin? Was this before you became a Christian? Do you have any outstanding sin? Have you sought reconciliation? And so on. Uh, But there are certain contexts where the grace of God could be at work in the life of a man who at one time was married and then was divorced. And widower, that goes without saying. If if you're a widower, that uh, does not exclude you from serving as an elder. Elders are to be sober-minded. That is, an elder has to be a clear thinker. Can't be influenced by by outside sources. It has to be devoted to the Word of God. And and he must not be making decisions based on his emotions. He has to be sober-minded, not emotionally-minded. Because there's going to be difficult decisions that cannot be made based on how it makes you feel. Or how it makes the church feel. The driving question must always be, is it right? Is it faithful? Is it in keeping with the scriptures? An elder must be self-controlled. This is a really hard one to understand, right? What does it mean to be self-controlled? It means that you control yourself. It's pretty self-evident. So I was just kidding. It's not that hard to understand. Uh, You have to control. An elder needs to control what goes in and what comes out. What comes in the eyes. What comes in the ears? What goes in the mouth? And you know, if you can control what goes in your mouth, you, you are, all of a sudden, there's so much sin that you're not going to participate in. Think about that. Uh, what goes in your eyes? What goes in your ears? And then what comes out? What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your body? If you can control what goes in and what comes out, you'll be self-controlled. An elder is to be Respectable. Again, this word is is based on the word for cosmos. An elder is to be one who puts himself together, his own person, his own home. Uh, When people see him, they they don't say, wow, he's unorganized and disheveled and all over the place. He's he's respectable. He's put together. And the put-togetherness of the elder instills confidence in the church. It instills confidence in that man in the broader world. An elder is to be hospitable. That means he's supposed to open his home. For the church, yes, but uh, really predominantly what this means is if there is a Christian visiting from out of town, the church is supposed to be hospitable and give that Christian a place to dwell. And first in line should be the elders. Say, yes, come into my home. 
What's mine is yours. An elder is to be able to teach. And this is really one of the only capacities listed here. The rest are, are predominantly character qualities. But there has to be an ability. Uh, this is a spiritual gift that God says, I, I'm going to require you to teach the word, so I'm going to give you the ability to teach the word. What this does not mean is that you need to give a certain number of sermons every year. That's not what this means. And when we get into Titus, we'll see what it means is you need to be, have a firm grasp of sound doctrine. And you have to be able to refute bad doctrine. That's what it means to be able to teach. You, you, you can rightly handle the word of God. You can rightly divide the truth. And then you can help others to do the same in whatever context. Some men are never going to preach from the front. And they can still be able to teach and be qualified as an elder. An elder is not to be a drunkard. Don't drink to excess. Notice this does not mean, and, and this is where we have to be careful, when we add to the word of God, this does not mean that an elder must be a teetotaler, meaning he never drinks. Now, if he chooses not to drink, that's great. That's his freedom. But that's not the qualification. And churches get into so much trouble. I just use this one as an example because it's obvious. Uh, an elder cannot drink. Well, where in the Bible is that? It's nowhere. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul's going to say to Timothy, you should have a little wine for the sake of your stomach. So let's not add to the word of God. And we're going to see that in the second sermon as well. We have to be very careful. Let's implement the word of God, that and no more. But an elder is not to be a drunkard. He's not to drink to excess. An elder is to be not violent. He must be gentle. And the emphasis here is on, on the physical realm. He's not, he ought not to be prone to physical fighting. If you see an elder that, that is getting into shoving matches or fighting matches, he's not qualified. He can't control his body. He's not the kind of man that, that represents Christ. And then what goes along with this is very similar. He's not to be quarrelsome. So if this this prohibition against violence and this exhortation toward gentleness is predominantly uh, physical, then you get to quarrelsome. It's the same sort of character trait, but it bears itself out in the intellectual realm. Uh, the way that he uses his words and his mouth and his argumentation. He, he's not looking for a quarrel. He doesn't want to pick a fight. He wants to be clear with the word of God and he'll stand for the truth, but, it, but he doesn't intentionally go out to try and upset people, to disturb people, uh, to, to quarrel with people. An elder is not to be a lover of money. Making money should not be an elder's primary goal in life. And there's two reasons for this. Elders might have some access to the church's finances. If a man has a weakness toward money, he might be tempted to sin. But I think more than that, I think that's true, but I think more than that is this reason. Um, to be an elder means you must take sacrifices in your vocation in that realm in which you are making money, in order to be a shepherd over God's people, you have to say, well, I can't really aspire to the next promotion because I won't have the time. Because I am devoted to the church, to overseeing the church, to leading and teaching. And, and so men who are preoccupied with making money, another way of saying it, men who are preoccupied with their, their work life, with their business, with their vocation, uh, climbing a ladder... There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it means they're probably not going to have time to be an elder. An elder must manage his own household well. 
with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Number of things to notice here. Look at the assumption. We use the word elder, and that makes us think about, because we're English, right? English-speaking, older person. But look at this qualification. He must be able to keep his children submissive. This is about men with young children in the home. This is not about empty nesters. This is not about grandfathers. This is about men with young children in the home. He must be able to demonstrate an ability to keep his children, who are young, Submissive, because if he can't keep his children submissive, he's not going to be able to exercise any authority in the church. Now, does this mean that grandfathers ought not to serve as elders? No, it would be great. But we get ourselves in these theological pretzels because we use a word that says elder, and we say, well, you know, you're, you're too young to be an elder. That's not, that's not true, because the Word of God says when you have young kids in the home, keep them submissive. Uh, the second thing I want you to notice is that we, elders are to be able to keep their children submissive. There's going to be a call to servants, to deacons. It says that deacons must be able to manage their own household, but there's not that same level. It, it never says in, in the next sermon this morning to be able to keep their children submissive. So let's say there, there's a person who can't, hasn't got total control over their children. Could they serve as a, a servant in the church? Oh, probably because they're not expected to exercise authority. We'll get back to that, but just note it. Elders, there's this call to an ability to exercise authority. Not so with deacons. Also, notice this, the correlation between the church and the household. And we're going to come back to this time and again. What's true of the household, that is our extended family or family units, the way we operate there and think through roles there is very similar and the same as to what the way we should think through roles in the church. So an elder who is a man ought to be a father and a husband who can manage his household and keep his children submissive. There's a correlation there. We'll get back to that, especially as we take a look at deacons. Continuing on, an elder must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is very subjective. What does it mean to be a recent convert? Well, we're not given a time frame. It doesn't say you have to be a, a Christian for five years, ten years, fifteen years, or three years, or seven years. It doesn't say. It just says it's probably good to, to see a demonstration of walking with the Lord over a period of time. So it's subjective. But the whole point here is not about how long must you be a Christian before you can become an overseer in the church. The point is, it's very tempting when you have a qualified man who's very gifted to make him an overseer based on the giftedness alone. But if that man has just been a Christian for six months or a year, even if he, all of a sudden, maybe he was raised in the church, he has got great knowledge, and then once he gave his life to Christ, all of that sort of lined up, and he's an excellent teacher, nevertheless, give him some time. Allow his giftedness to be matched with some time, some maturing, and time tests, time humbles, time refines. So it's not about a certain amount of time, it's just this check against just call, elevating men too quickly. The condemnation of the devil is, is tricky to understand. This doesn't mean that the devil will condemn recent converts who might become elders. 
what Paul is getting at there is just as Satan was gifted and beautiful, God created Satan to be a beautiful angel, a powerful angel, an excellent angel. But then because of all that giftedness and ability and beauty, he became arrogant and then he wanted to overthrow God. And so then he fell and he was tossed out of heaven by God. So the condemnation of the devil is don't elevate a man too quickly or he might follow after the pattern set by the devil. And in all of his giftedness, he might fall just as the devil fell. Better for him to learn submission before you put him in a position to exercise authority. You may not think about that, but all elders must be able to submit to Christ, to the word of God, to one another, to the governing authorities. If a man doesn't know how to submit, he's not ready to exercise authority. Finally, last qualification, an elder must be thought well of by outsiders. Why? Does this mean that, that he's a people pleaser? No. It just means that he will not fall into disgrace. Who are the public representatives of the local church? We all are on one hand. Whenever you go from here, whatever you say and do reflects on Jesus Christ and it reflects on South Shore Bible Church. Even more so, if that's true for all of us, even more so it's true of the leaders and the overseers. When elders go out into the world and say things and do things, the things that we say and do, oh, he's a leader in the church. He's, he's a pastor in the church. He's an elder in the church. Then the things that we say and do reflect back on the church and on Christ. Therefore, uh, let him not put himself out there in a way that brings disgrace to the church or to Jesus Christ. And the devil will be setting traps. So whereas falling in, uh, following into the condemnation of the devil is to follow after the devil, to fall into a snare of the devil, which is said here, if we're not thought well of by outsiders, the devil is setting traps. Just as he set traps for Jesus, he sets traps for all Christians, but especially for the overseers of the local church. So when you, when, when you have an opportunity to say or do something, what will you do? Will you fall into the trap, bringing disrepute on the church and on Christ, or will you exercise wisdom and authority? And even if the outside world doesn't agree with you, may they not be offended by elders, even while they might be offended by the gospel. Now this is a long list of qualifications. There's one competency that is given, and that is the ability to teach. Well, let me add, sorry, two, the ability to keep children submissive. So, again, we're going back to that 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. The two things that make overseers stand out from the rest of the church is that they are called to teach and to exercise authority. But aside from that, these qualifications are character-based, which means the character is much more important than competency. Character is much more important than competency. And so I pray that you would pray for us, or I ask you to pray for us, that, that we would continue to cultivate our character as overseers in the church. Uh, it's much more important than the ability to deliver a good sermon. Can, can I walk in the footsteps of Christ? Not perfectly, but increasingly. 
And can your elders imitate Christ to the point where they can say, imitate me as we imitate Christ. Pray for us that that would increasingly be true of us. Just want to close with this. It's an implicit point that some members of the local church are called by God to exercise authority, to make decisions. This is countercultural. In our culture, we react, we reject authority. In the church, God is calling us to submit to authority. Elders must submit to Christ and his word. Elders must submit to the governing authorities. And the church is to submit to the men that Christ has put in positions of authority over it. May we faithfully implement the word of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I thank you for these instructions. And I pray for the elders of this church that we would reflect Jesus Christ more and more. We are sinful men, but help us to be honest about our sin, especially with one another, that we may be transparent and keep nothing hidden in the dark so that we may be above reproach and growing in Christ-likeness. Lord, help us to understand the word that we may teach it and help us to make decisions based on what the scriptures say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.